We'll be in Luke chapter 15. This morning, Luke chapter 15. I was thinking on Wednesday night how for five years we have been without a pianist. And in the last, I would say, two months, we've had four different people play the piano. Uh, Miss Kathy's been playing for us for a few weeks now on Sunday mornings. Um, Brett plays occasionally on Sunday afternoons or Wednesday nights. Cherith plays and has played on Wednesday night or Sunday afternoon. I don't remember which one recently. And then um, on Wednesday night, Allie, um, uh, Wendy's daughter, played for us as well. And uh, it's amazing uh, to, I say amazing, it's an answer to prayer and it's, uh, it's encouraging uh, to, see, um, to see what God's doing for our church. And with that, God has been put on my heart just a, um, a vision. Of, I say a vision, that sounds a little Pentecostal. Uh, uh, but a vision to, uh, uh, to help and encourage people with, uh, with using the talents that God's given them. And uh, so I've been praying about some opportunities and ways to get people uh, more opportunities uh, to use the talents that God's given them, to use them uh, for God, and uh, what I can do as a pastor to better encourage that as well. And so uh, that's, that's to come. Then also, I uh, was going to announce today um, kind of a launch of a spring-summer um, invite kind of push to get people going out and, and inviting people to church and things like that. Uh, I'm going to hold off on that for probably another two weeks just based off of waiting to hear back um, and get more uh, detail on what's going on with the possible merger and, uh, and instead of launching something that we might have to cut off kind of, uh, I guess we wouldn't have to cut it off, but nonetheless, I'm going to wait on that just a couple more weeks, and, uh, but we will be announcing something shortly uh, about that as well. And uh, it's, we need to get out. We need to be, I hope that you're regularly inviting people. I hope that you're regularly uh, trying to take opportunities to share the gospel with people, passing out tracts, those kinds of things. Um, but I want to also do our part, uh, as a, a, if we can use the term corporately, uh, to go out together. And, uh, and we want to make sure we're taking advantage of the opportunities, again, that we have there. We've been talking about who is God the last number of weeks. And today we're going to be looking at uh, God uh, is a God of restoration. Restoration. What is restoration? Restoration defined in the dictionary is the act of returning something to a former condition. Um, when we talk about restoration from God, typically what I'm at least talking about is restoring a relationship with God. So we have a relationship with God. We break the relationship with God in the sense that it's not that we break that we're no longer His child. You can't do that. Uh, once we are His child, we are His child. But we break the fellowship with God. Our relationship is hindered. There is a something that blocks it. There's something that, that uh, affects our relationship with God, which is sin. And, uh, and what happens when we uh, uh, get right with God, when we get our sin forgiven? The Bible says in 1 John that He is faithful. God is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we confess our sins, right? And so when we get right with God, meaning when we go to God and say, God, I did wrong. I know I did wrong. I know it was wrong. God, forgive me. 
Now, I'm talking about after salvation. I'm talking about a saved person coming to God and saying, I did wrong. Uh, God, forgive me. God says, I forgive you. But it goes a little deeper than that as well. Because God is a God who restores relationships. We can break relationships with people and never get them restored. Um, We can have friendships that get ruined over a situation. We can have... uh, 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 We can have... Uh, uh, um, relationships, uh, uh, you've seen it, marriages that have had uh, uh, problems in the marriage, something that broke the relationship and it, and it could not or, or would not be restored. But God says and shows throughout the Bible that when we break relationship or fellowship with God, if we come back to Him, He always will restore the relationship. Make it some, uh, make it what it for its former condition was. Restore it. Talking about restoring a house, you, you go into a house that is old and, uh, and they can be in all kinds of different conditions, but the idea of restoring the house is to make it look new, to bring it back to its new condition or to a condition that looks like it's new. Maybe not exactly like it was before because you might have different tastes than the previous owner, uh, but, uh, but you're going to restore it to, to make it new again to make it like it is new. And so this morning, I'd like to use this uh, um, sermon illustration that Christ used uh, to some degree and, and look at it and you see God's, uh, that God is a God of restoration, a God who will restore our relationship with Him when we mess it up because God doesn't mess it up. So when we mess it up, God says, I will restore it. I will bring it back to its former condition to where it was at its best moment. Uh, And let's look at that this morning. Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. And he, Christ, said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. You know this story, right? It's the story of the prodigal son. Let's keep reading. It says, And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land. And he began to be in want, and he went, in, uh, went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the, to his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have uh, filled his belly with the husks and the, that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and and, uh, uh, fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat. And be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Lord, I pray for your help this morning. 
as we look into this, what might be a familiar story, if we've grown up in church, we've heard it as children. Lord, I pray that today as we look into your word, we would not uh, be mesmerized by the rain outside or that we would be um, uh, focused on things that are coming up this week or maybe other things that have happened the week before, but Lord, that we'd be able to focus on your word and gain from it today. God, we have all hurt you at some point in time. We have all wronged you at some point in time. But today, when we rejoice in the fact that you are a God of restoration, that you bring us back to the best moment of our relationship with you. Lord, that you give us second, third, and fourth, and fifth chances. And over and over again, Lord, you are faithful to restore. So, Lord, I pray that today you would touch our hearts. Maybe there's an area in our lives today that need to be restored. God, I pray that today you would show us that and that you'd bring us back to where we need to be. God, again, I pray for something fresh this morning from your word. Lord, help me as I present it that I would do it clearly and that I would do it correctly. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We look here at the story of the prodigal son and we can look at a couple different things. Many people will say this is a story about salvation. Um, and I think it can be applied to that very simply. Um, but I believe in what I see here is, a, is a, the greatest example of restoration and who God is in spite of our mistakes, in spite of our decisions, in spite of our choices, in spite of our uh, life actions. We see a God who is always ready and willing to accept us back. I'm humbled by that thought. It does strike me as, as something that, that reminds me of who God is in my life. I may not have done some things that, that you would consider to be horrible, but I've broken relationship with God before. There are many times where I've sat uh, in my office uh, in Indiana or in my home here and thought, Lord, why, why do you have me pastor? I'm so thankful for God's restoration. Here in the prodigal son, I want us to see three things this morning. And time dependent, we might go look at another example in the Bible as well. But I want us to see, first of all, this morning, the prodigal son shows that God is not the reason for the break. Look in verse number 12 again. It says, the, uh, well, let's start in verse 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that followeth to me, mine inheritance, so to say. And he, the father, divided unto them his living. Notice in verse 12, this is not a part of the sermon, but in verse 12 it says he divided unto them his living. So the youngest son asked for his inheritance, and the dad actually gave both of his kids their inheritance. But the one made the decision to do this in verse 13, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Most pastors, me included, will, will rail on the older son towards the end of this story, talking about how selfish he is and how he, he couldn't see the good that happened and all that kind of stuff. But let's point out here that the older son in this illustration, he got his inheritance and he chose to stay home. He chose to do right. He chose to remain in fellowship with the relationship with his father. 
the younger son, he took what was given to him and he said, I'm out of here. I'm going to live my life. We'll see in our afternoon service the day that they did what was right in their own eyes. This younger son said, I have the money. I'm wealthy now. Uh, I saw a meme uh, this morning on social media of a cat that was strutting. And they said, it said, me when, uh, when I have 10 extra dollars in my paycheck. Um, and, uh, you know, we get a little money and we start to think, oh, now I'm big stuff. I can afford to get the 8-ounce steak instead of the 6-ounce steak. I can, I can afford to get uh, uh, the Big Mac instead of the cheeseburger. I can afford whatever. We've all been there. This son gets his inheritance and he says, I'm going to go do what I want to do. I'm going to go live my life. I'm not going to be strapped down by rules. I'm not going to be strapped down by authority. Uh, I'm going to make my own decisions. And the Bible says in verse 13 that he wasted his substance with riotous living. It doesn't go into detail in this illustration of exactly what riotous living is. But I believe that if we read the Bible and see what people did in their their living wickedly, I believe there would be immorality probably involved. I believe there would probably be drunkenness involved. There would probably be some lewdness involved. There would be some things that that, uh, are very inappropriate and very wrong and very unbiblical. And he wasted his money on riotous living. He decided to live his life. He didn't just waste his money. He wasted his life years uh, in this moment of of riotous living, of living a life that God was not pleased with, but he didn't care. He wasn't living for God. He was living for himself. He wasn't living for his father in the illustration. He He was living for him. What makes me happy? It's a dangerous place to be. Sometimes we can throw ourselves a little pity party and we can sit on the couch and we can just say, you know what, I'm not happy. When I was in college, I was in college for four years. That's right, I got out in four years. Uh, four years, and I have a degree to prove it. Um, all four years, actually, all, what is that, eight semesters, I think I held a different job. One of the reasons why is because I was never happy. I worked at a gas station. I got paid very well at the gas station. I had a lot of money in my bank account at the time. I was a freshman my, my first year in college. And uh, um, the reason I had so much money in my account is because I didn't have time to spend it. I was at work or at school. <laughs> that was it. Uh, and, uh, you know, I got done with that semester. I was getting ready to go home for Christmas break. And, and I was like, you know what? I think I can have more fun than this. So I quit my job at the gas station. Came back the next semester. I got a job. Uh, I'm trying to remember what I did the next semester. Uh, I don't remember. I, I worked at the college in concessions. I ran the concession stuff, and I, I worked in the sports department helping get the fields and the courts ready and all that kind of stuff. I worked at a greenhouse. I worked at as a security guard. I worked at a, a retail. Um, and there may have been one or two semesters I didn't work. I'm trying, I worked in a cleaning company. I don't know. I did all kinds of things. But at each one... You know, I was like, eh, this really isn't that fun, which now I realize it's because it's work, and work just isn't fun. <laughs> um, it's just that simple. You know, I grew up at camp, and you can always find fun at camp, even though you're working, there's still fun things to do. Uh, I realized in the real world, work is just not fun, and so quit looking for a fun job and just w- look for one that pays the bills and does what it's supposed to do. 
you know, we oftentimes get caught though saying, you know what, I think I can have more fun. Part of being adult is to realize when to have fun and, and when to work. And sometimes they go hand in hand, but sometimes they don't. We have to be responsible. We have to pray and ask God, is this where you want me to be? And if it is, then I'm going to keep doing it. But the illustration that's given to us here, the younger son went and he wasted his substance with riotous living. He's going to come to this point in verse 17 where he realizes, I don't like this life. This isn't very fun. This isn't very rewarding. As a matter of fact, the slaves that my dad has have a much better life than I do. He realizes he never once said my, it's my dad's fault that I'm in this situation. He never once said it's my brother's fault that I'm in this situation. He never once said it's anybody else's fault. He came to the realization, I've made a mistake. I broke relationship with my dad. With that, he humbly says, I'm no longer worthy to be called his son. But maybe he'll hire me as a servant. There's some positive things to learn from this that we can look at our life and we can go, okay, when I break relationship with God, it's not, it's not my spouse's fault. It's not my parents' fault. It's not my kids' fault. It's not my, my siblings' fault. It's not my work's fault. It's, it's nobody else's fault but my own when I break relationship with God, break fellowship with God. And we finally come to the realization this is not the life that I want to live. And we come to that point where we say, all right, Lord, I'm not worthy to be called your child. But can you fit me in anywhere? I want to come back home. Because I have broken relationship. The prodigal son teaches us that God is not the reason for the break. Number two, the prodigal son shows us that God is not the one who prevents a return. Look in verse 17, the first phrase in verse 17, and when he came to himself. Well, what does that mean? Does it mean he was passed out? That's what I've always pictured, passed out in the pig pen. But it says when he came to himself, I believe when he, when he looked around and he saw what he was eating and he saw who he was eating with or what he was eating with. And he looked at his circumstances and he looked at the, the situation that he found himself in. He came to himself and realized, wait a second, what am I doing? And when he realized, I should go home. And I should say, Dad, I'm not worthy to be your son, but will you hire me to be your servant? We don't read in here the question ever being asked, do you think my dad will let me? If I come home, do you think my dad will be angry? Now, there's no doubt that if you're in this situation, there's, there's some questioning of will you be accepted? Because he said himself, I believe the reason why, why the illustration is I'm no longer worthy to be a son, but maybe hire me as a servant is the understanding that, that dad might be a little upset. He might be a little, uh, uh, a little shamed by what I've done. But if I come in low and I say, can I just be a servant? Can I just, can I just have a job? Maybe then it'll be okay. But here we see it's not the father that keeps the son from coming back. It was the son who kept himself from coming back. 
He was the one preventing the return. He was out there doing his riotous living. In verse 15, uh, uh, after the famine came, he joined himself to a citizen of the country that he was in, and he began to work in the fields and to feed the swine. In verse 16, he was so hungry that he says he would fain have filled his belly uh, with the husks that the swine did eat. He was eating the same food that they were feeding to the pigs. Now, it's typically leftover food. It's maybe some rotten uh, stuff from the, the garden and things like that. Still not tasty. <clears throat> but that's, it says that no man gave unto him. Think about the people you see on the side of the street with the signs that say homeless, anything will help, or whatever it says, hungry, anything will help. Maybe occasionally we feel bad for him and we'll give him something. Now, this guy was eating the pig food and no one else would give him anything. Which means I'm guessing that he was asking, Hey, do you have some bread? Do you have an apple? Do you have anything? Now, it says it was time of famine, so obviously people are going to be a little stingy <laughs> with what they're giving to a guy that smells like pigs. But nothing prevented him from going home except for himself. And there are times in the Christian life where we're living our life and we're not doing right. And as we're walking through this, uh, this life and then we're living a life that's not right with God, and there are times where we come to the, the thought, this isn't right, I shouldn't be doing this. And then we make the decision to keep doing it anyways. So then we keep on trugging and we keep on trugging. Not once do, do we go, well, God wouldn't have accepted me back. God wouldn't have forgiven me. No, every single time it's a simple realization that I never turned back to God. I never came back to God. Nothing prevents us from coming back home to God. I'm telling you, that's, a, that's an amazing thought. No matter where we get in our life, there is nothing except for ourselves, that prevents us from coming back to God. We could do the worst thing that you could think of. Come back to God and God would say, welcome home. And I would say, well, that's not right. A person goes off and murders someone, God shouldn't welcome them back. And we could have a long discussion about were they ever saved, all that kind of stuff. We're not going there today. But the reality is, is, is a murderer, or worse, is still no worse than me. We like to compartmentalize sins. And we like to say, well, this one's okay because no one else knows about it. This one's okay because it doesn't affect anyone else. It only affects me. This one's okay because you're not going to read about it in the news. It's not that big of a deal. Well, God hates sin. The Bible talks about, and I believe there are degrees of punishment in hell. And he talks about a certain group of people who will have it far worse than Sodom. And it's, it comes back to religious hypocrites. It comes back to people who claim to be working for God, but who are not. False teachers religious zealots, people who are, who are claiming godliness but don't have a relationship with God. Now you look at that and we go, wait a second. Uh, the city of Sodom was destroyed by God because God hated the sin that was in Sodom. And you better believe God still hates the sin that was in Sodom today. 
But don't for a second think that God's okay with your sin, but He sure hates that sin. If we're living in sin, God hates it, and God says, if you'll come back, I will welcome you back. But you're the one preventing it, not me. The prodigal son teaches us that, that God is not the reason for the break in fellowship or relationship. The prodigal son teaches us that God is not the one who prevents the return. And number three, the prodigal son teaches us that God is always willing to welcome you home. Look again in verse number 20. It says, And he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. He had compassion on him, and he ran to him. He hugged his neck, and he kissed him. Verse 22 after the son said, Dad, I'm not worthy to be your son. Can I work for you? The dad says, No, you can't work for me. And he calls the servants and he says, Go get the best robe that we've got. He says, We're going to have a party. He says, Bring forth the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, signifying family. Shoes on his feet, for he was barefoot. Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. You don't kill the fatted calf for just anything. He had more than one cow. <laughs> this was a special, special pick by the father. Verse 24, For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Look in verse 32, the last verse of the chapter, as he's speaking to the older brother, he says, It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. When the son in, this, in the illustration returns home, the father does have, has no ill will against him. He has no hatred towards him. He has no bitterness towards him. What does he have? He has compassion. He has joy. He's come back. He was lost and now he's found. I don't think we really comprehend in these times, if you look at the illustrations being given to us, when a son would leave, you don't hear from him. You don't keep up with him on Facebook. You don't mail him a letter. There was no mailboxes. Once he left, there would be no communication whatsoever. You'd have no idea what was happening. This father didn't know that he had lived riotously. He probably could assume it. Father didn't know that he had been starving and eating pig food. Although he could probably assume it. But when his son came back, an obvious I would assume because of what we see here, the, the picture would be given to us in tatters. No shoes. I'm sure he was filthy. I'm sure he smelled. I'm sure the, the riotous living showed because it always does. The father saw him a great way off and knew who it was. That's important. Talking about a great way off, I don't have the best eyesight. I wear glasses. But uh, uh, if you're way out there, I might not know who you are until you get closer. There are some times you can tell 
You know, uh, Raymond will come walking up the, the road. I know it's Raymond by the way he walks. Uh, different things like that. But we're talking about a great way off. The dad sees him. That's my son. He didn't sit there and stew and go, okay, what can I do to get him when he gets here? Yeah, let me pretend that I'm angry. No. It says he ran to him. I imagine, and this is just my imagination, I guess the illustration is given to us in the Bible, but uh, I imagine the prodigal son is sitting there murmuring under his breath, practicing his speech that he had practiced the whole way home. It says that as he's sitting there with the swine, he, he says, this is what I'll say. And then, and then he gets there and he says that. He's been practicing it. And his dad stops him. And he turns to his servants and he says, it's time to celebrate. It's, it, it's time to rejoice. My son is home. This is an illustration for us of how God feels, I believe, when, when we're living a life that's not right, when we have a break in fellowship with Him and we come back and we decide this life that I'm living isn't, it isn't what it should be. I need to go back to God. I need to come back to God and, and, and I just hope that He'll let me just be a small part of His plan. And we come back to God and God says, you're home. I've missed you. I love you. Your family. We are the servants of God. We do serve Him. But we are also, if we are a Christian, we are the child of God. A child of the King. A child of a God who owns everything. He has a cattle on a thousand hills. He created the world. There's nothing that exists without His allowance of it. And we come back to Him and God says, Welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. Let's celebrate. What does that tell us? That tells us that when we come back to God, we don't have to be, uh, uh, be shamed for the rest of our life. I have met people, I've had people in my church that have said to me before, well, pastor, this is kind of some of the things that I went through and I just, I just can't forgive myself. They're coming to church faithfully, but can't get them involved, can't get them to do anything and and start talking with them and get to know them a little bit more. And they, it comes back to that. I, I just can't forgive myself. Well, that's silly. <laughs> because if God forgives you, why can't you forgive yourself? Yes, there, there are consequences to our actions. Yes, there are consequences to our sin. But God says, you're, you're part of my family. And once you come home, guess what? You're home. You're not a servant. You're not a slave. You don't have to eat the pig food anymore. We got steaks. Unless you've become a vegetarian, then we've got salad. We've got it all. <laughs> Whatever you want. I'm your father. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to provide for you because you're back. And I've watched as Christians have lived out the rest of their life after mistakes with their head down and their feet dragging in this self-pity of, I made a mistake and I can never get past it. Now listen, there are mistakes that are incredibly hard to get over. 
that are incredibly hard to get past. I get that. But God says, once I've forgiven you, you have been made white as snow. Before God the Father, you are looked at as perfect once you've been forgiven. So don't walk around with your head down. Be a part of the family. Do what a child in the family is supposed to do. Self-pity and self-guilt keep a person from accomplishing what God wants them to accomplish. And to understand that God is always willing to welcome you home means that you have to understand that when God has forgiven you, you need to live a forgiven life. You need to walk with your head up. You need to walk fulfilling the responsibility that God has given you. And if you want to mope around and drag your feet because of your past life that God's already forgiven you of, you're wasting more time. Turn with me to Psalm 51. I want to look at one more illustration. Prodigal Son is an illustration that's given to us. It's a great illustration. It can teach us many things. And I believe it's a perfect picture of what God is for us. It shows us that God is not the reason for the break, that God is not the one that prevents the return, and that God is always willing to welcome you home. And is there a better example of that than David? I don't think there is. Psalm 51 is a prayer of David after the prophet Nathan has approached him about his sin with Bathsheba and the death of Uriah. The Bible tells us in Samuel that uh, it was time for war and the men went out to war, but David did not. David was out on his roof and he looked down and he saw Bathsheba bathing and his lush, if we can use the term, got the best of him. He invited Bathsheba over, he impregnated her. And out of the concern for that, he he called her husband home from war, hoping that her husband would spend a night with her and, and then they could just assume it was their child. But her husband said, I can't go into my wife when all the fellow soldiers are out fighting and he slept on the front step. So David made the decision that he was going to send uh, him to the front lines of the war and have everybody else retreat and leave him there to fight by himself and to die. And then Bathsheba would not have a husband. He could bring her in and make, uh, make her his wife and nobody would know the difference. Nathan approaches David in 2 Samuel And he says to David a story about some sheep and the neighbor taking the one sheep that the man had as opposed to the sheep that he already had to to feed his guests. And and David got angry about the story. And in layman's terms, he says to Nathan, who is it he's going to pay? And Nathan says, David, you are the man. From what I believe to be about a year span between his sin with Bathsheba and Nathan approaching him, if we read through the timelines of the different psalms that are written and you see some anguish and some different physical ailments I believe that David had, 
I don't know if it's as a result necessarily of God's punishment or more so as the, the, the guilt, the shame, the, the temperament that he had during that, that time he was living in unconfessed, unforgiven sin. But in Psalm 51, we see David praying to God as a result of being approached by Nathan. And he says in verse number 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. I believe David understood he was the reason for the break. It finally was that moment where he came to himself and he realized this is my fault. I did something horribly wrong. He says, wash me thoroughly, verse 2, from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee alone, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Look down in verse 7. We see that David was the one that had to return. He says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear the joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. David came back to God. And he asked God for a number of things, but ultimately he asked for a washing. Lord, wash me. Purge me with hyssop. Wash me. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Wash me. I'm dirty. I'm beyond dirty. I'm filthy. Lord, wash me. Along with that, he asked for a renewal or a restoration, a, a, a returning to the former condition. He says, create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit. Verse 12, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. When we're living in sin, we do not live in the joy of what God, God offers. Oftentimes, we don't live in joy at all. But he says, restore unto me the joy that I had when my focus was on you. All of that being said in verse 13, I love the word that is used. Then will I teach transgressors thy way, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. I believe David believed with all his heart that God would do just what he asked God to do. Forgive me, wash me, renew me, restore me, and then this will happen. It wasn't a, a, a uh, deal being made with God. If you do this, then I'll do this. No, it was a, an understanding that when this happens, I'm getting to work. Uh, I'm going to proclaim your goodness. Verse 15, O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. 
For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. This was an understanding that a return to God was not just an action, but it was an interior desire, motive, and action. God says, I will restore you. I will make you back to what your original condition was in the relationship that me and you have. If you fall into sin, you know it's not God's fault. We are the one responsible for our own sins. The Bible says, I believe it's in Jeremiah, but it might, it might not be Jeremiah, but the soul that sinneth it shall die. It might be Isaiah. Anyways, in the Old Testament. The soul that sinneth it shall die. The person who sins is responsible for his or her sins, and no one else is responsible for that. God does not prevent us from coming back to Him. But God is always willing to welcome us home. I don't know what sins you have in your life. I don't know what things you've done. All that kind of stuff. I would assume you haven't done what David did in murdering someone. We often focus on the, the sin with Bathsheba, which was horribly wrong, yes, but, but he had Uriah killed. I would assume you haven't gone that far. Maybe you've lived a time in your life where you said, you know what, I'm just going to do what I want to do. You can, you can do that and still put on the, the, the act of being godly. Most people, when they come to that point, say, forget being godly. I'm just going to do what I want to do. Maybe there's something that you would consider small, but today God has said, hey, that's not small to me. You've caused a break. And I'm just waiting for you to come home. And as soon as I see you walking off in the distance, I will run to you and I will hug you and I will kiss you and I will throw a party. We're going to celebrate your cleansing, your renewal, your restoration. We can be thankful for all the things that God is and we should be. But I will tell you today I'm humbled and I'm grateful that God is a God of restoration. You may not need a total restoration, but there may be a part of your life that needs to be restored today. I pray that today you'd allow God to do just that. If there's something in your life that's not right, you know it's not right, I pray that you'd go to God today and say, God, forgive me. Lord, welcome me back. I'm coming home. And God's faithful to do just that. Lord, we come to you today understanding that any break in relationship that we have with you, any break in fellowship we have with you, it, it is not your fault. It is our own. And Lord, many times we stay away from you for different reasons, for different motives sometimes out of shame, sometimes out of just simple selfishness and pride. But Lord, we do know and we see in Your Word that when we come home, You're there to welcome us. God, today I pray that if there's an area in our life that needs to be restored, that You would restore it. God, if there's a break in our fellowship with You, Lord, I pray that today we'd get it taken care of, that we'd come home. God, that, you'd, that we would be what you want us to be. 
Lord, today you can celebrate in the one who was lost but is now found. Lord, we need you to do just that for us today. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand today. I just want to encourage you. If you've been out at some point in your life, if there's an area in your life right now that is not at home with God, that is not where it's supposed to be, that needs to be restored, I pray that today you will make the decision before you're in a famined country eating pig slop, metaphorically, I pray that today you would say, I need to stop this and I need to come home. I need to give this area to God. I need to bring this area to God and understand that I need His forgiveness and I need His restoration. I pray that today you would do that. I believe it's a personal matter and that's why I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But I will say this, if you'd like for me to pray with you, if you'd like for me to counsel with you, I'd be more than happy to do that. Just reach out and let me know. But today I want you, if there's an area that you need to do business with God about today, I pray that you would do it. You might be able to do it in the, the brief time that we'll close here. You might need to take a little more time at home today. But I pray that you'll come home. Lord, help us. Help us to come to ourselves and realize when we're somewhere that we shouldn't be, when we're doing something that we shouldn't be doing, and come to the realization that we would be better off being with you than being on our own. Lord, help us not to live selfishly or riotously, but Lord, that we would live under your care and under your guidance. Lord, we love you. We are so grateful that you're willing to restore our relationship with you. And God, I pray that, that we would all be restored today. And God, that you would use us more mightily. Lord, that we wouldn't have to walk around in shame and wouldn't have to walk around in uh, disgrace, but Lord, that we can now walk in, in the, the freeness that you give us. Lord, to serve you faithfully. Help us to be what you want us to be. Lord, we pray for your help in these matters and we'll rejoice with you in your answered prayers. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's go ahead and be dismissed and get ready for lunch. And once we're set up for lunch...